Do you know what God's plan is for the salvation of the world? How does he plan to fill his heaven? The answer that I want you to give, I'm glad you didn't call out anything because it might not have been this because this is the answer I need this morning. That is the church. The church is God's plan. The church has taken some awful hits and there are whole sections of people who think it's very cool to say, say, uh, I'm very spiritual, but I don't go to church. They just, that's just so cool. And uh, I think it's really so silly. Not that I think those people are silly, but that idea is really messed up because this is what God has done. And if you, you say, well, boy, his church is in a mess. Do you know why? It's because of you and me. We are the mess. And God has plans for us to change the world. And I am not one of these who believe that we can convert the world system and bring everything under control without the coming of the Lord. I do not believe that. I don't think the scripture teaches that. It seems to me that the scripture teaches that it gets worse and worse until the wheels finally fall off and then Jesus comes and straightens things out. But um, it's the church that is the one that is supposed to populate heaven and we read in the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church, the gates of Hades, will not overcome it. And Ephesians 2 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. Now, foreigners and aliens there speaks of the Gentiles. Almost all of us are Gentiles. We are foreigners and aliens, fellow citizens with God's people. That's the Jews. Members of God's household. And here is the foundation. Uh, the rock that Jesus built upon was Peter and the apostles, the other apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So this is the foundation. We have the word of God brought to us by the Holy Spirit through apostles and prophets. Jesus himself has been revealed to us. And the church now has the job of kicking in the gates of hell. This is so much the word of the Holy Spirit to this church for this era. We talk about it. We talk about being militant. We talk about being proactive and aggressive, or at least assertive, if not aggressive. And what we do is hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus answers still, Wave the answer back to heaven by thy grace. We will. He is not interested in you holding the fort. That is lousy theology. It's error. It's heresy. That is not what God calls you to. And I know when we start talking about being aggressive and so forth, we get really antsy because we, we think, well, the next thing he is really going to nail us with guilt. I don't think guilt does anything but make you neurotic. 
So if as much as I can, I'm going to avoid using guilt. I want the Holy Spirit to put a hunger in our hearts to know God so much that it'll be difficult for us to keep our mouths shut when it's time to talk about what's going on in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The church is an army involved in spiritual conflict. It fights by the sword and the power of the spirit. We read in Ephesians 6, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The church fights uh, in this spiritual struggle against Satan and sin. And there's John uh, chapter 12 where Jesus uh, has, has just heard from heaven. The, the father spoke to him and said, this is my son. And Jesus then says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now is the prince of this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And this um, uh, business here of the prince of this world being driven out, I'm going to come back to that in just a minute because I want to make this point first. The spirit with the church with which the church is filled is like a warrior wielding the word of God the living word, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul, spirit, joints, marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives to us he, the, the deliverance from Satan's dominion. I am sending you to them, God said to Paul, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. The Holy Spirit delivers from darkness, from Satan's dominion. And this Holy Spirit conquers every power of this dark world. Out of his mouth, the picture of Jesus in Revelation 19, comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the, winepress of the, fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Now, this is what we're doing. This is what this is about. We need this total business of the kingdom of God brought forth in power, in victory, in our hearts. This is not about some uh, hyper thing that we can build up. This is not about what I, I remember a Bible teacher that, that dealt a lot with the spirit, the soul, and the body. And this is not a lot about soul power this is not a lot about a strong leader with a charismatic personality who just can expand and expand and expand and just kind of pull you in. People like that, if they go astray, can become a Jim Jones. And some of you are not old enough to remember Jim Jones. Uh, look it up online. Uh, this is what God is doing, and he is doing it today. And this congregation is in a special place, it seems to me that we are already sensing, feeling the, the thunderstorm that, that is building up for the reign of God's grace, righteousness, salvation, deliverance, all of this that we cry for. I can feel, I can, I can see in my mind's eye the flash of the lightning. I can feel the thump of the thunder. You don't have to have a earring here. Uh, you just, you know, thunder you can read in your hand. 
And God, it's beginning to happen. It's already taking place. There are signs I could give you some from this week in my experience where God is moving us forward. Now, there's a couple of things I want to, I want to encourage us in as we move into this era. The first one is the order in the church. There are three uh, things that God has established Three organizations, uh, three groups. He, he established the home, he established the church, and he established government and uh, civil government through the course of the history of humankind. And those, those things have order in them. And you can read about the different things when, when God established the home in the book of Genesis and you see about the order there. Now, when he established the, or, the church, he, he established it in the wilderness more than any other way. Uh, it's the church in the wilderness. He, he called it out of Egypt, and it was called the children of Israel. And it's referred to as the church. And in the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, it, is, it is the church, the same word that's uh, church in the New Testament, speaking of the Christian church. So this bunch in the wilderness had order. And then when Jesus started the church on the cross, people talk about the day of Pentecost being the birthday of the church. Nah, the cross of Jesus Christ, the birthday of church. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, that's where we get in. That's where we are bought. That's where we are changed. And Jesus there starts this deal off. And the order that I want, and I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but I've got to say this. Hebrews 13, 7 says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. That's like, that's like a parent saying to a kid, obey me. Now, if you're, if you're a little kid, that's probably going to have to be enforced. If you're a big kid... And about half smart, you will have figured out somewhere along the line that what mom or dad says is best. And especially if you want to live in this house, it's best. So you do what they say. So then we come and the preacher says, obey me. And I know that makes me look really, really tall and large-spirited and great-minded. I understand that that just... Oh, when I say that, you just say, yes, yes. But what the scripture says, submit to, obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, if we don't have order, if the church is just, is just going off in all directions at once, it cannot get its work done. It will not have unity. And if you are in a in this congregation or any other congregation and there is something in you that just rebels against the leadership in that church, you need to change. If you don't change your heart, you need to change your body. Because if you don't, it's not going to work well. You say, well, I don't like what you did. Well, why don't you nail me? Why don't you get in my face and say, I've got to talk to you? Because you're a stinking chicken. I mean, I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. You're not, you're not responsible for what you say under the anointing. Church, if we have order, we have order. If we don't, we don't. If we don't have order, we won't get our work done. And I, I know it's like I used to, I went for years and would not preach on tithing. And it, first 14 years of our pastorate, I didn't preach on tithing because we were on a percentage of the tithe offering. So it was like conflict of interest in my mind. Bad decision. Because what I'm saying is, you don't get the whole counsel of God, and you don't get to learn from me how to be prosperous and be blessed by giving to God. And that was not right. And when I came to Kansas City, we were put on a straight salary, and it began to seem like it was more reasonable to preach about tithing, and then it began to dawn on me, that's a terrible, insecure, and selfish response to say, no, I can't preach on tithing, because they might think something they're going to think something anyway. Don't you? You know that you have to get with the Lord every once in a while about me and process it out just like I teach you about forgiveness. You have to get in there and forgive, so you might as well forgive me about teaching about tithing. You might as well forgive me about teaching about spiritual authority. Number three, there is a foundational character that is so exciting to me First of all, it's exciting because after years of worrying about certain things before God, and I don't want it to be like this stress-filled, debilitating worry, but, but concern in the presence of God, I am seeing God do stuff in me that I've wanted for almost 100 years or something like that. Long time, and it's happening. It's really happening, and it's like, this is wonderful, I'm, I'm looking forward to the time when it works enough that it will begin to work out and Eunice will notice it. That will be, that will be a blessing to her, I'm sure. But uh, here, here is what I love. And you know that because this gets in just about every sermon in the last few weeks because God is dealing with us about this. Not only is he dealing with me. This is, this is our deal and it's what he is saying to a large section of the Church of Jesus Christ in the U.S., and especially to this body, John 14, 30, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. Now, we're going to come to prince of this world in just a minute, but here is the line I love. He has no hold on me. No hold. No place. You go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, where it says, give no place to the devil. No place. Satan could come up to Jesus and... and Push, 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 push. There are no buttons. They are all gone. They never were there. But in our case, God is able to remove these buttons. And it is amazing. The, the, the thing that is hard about these buttons is that they are blind spots. <laughs> By definition, a blind spot is something that's a serious problem that you don't know about. And that stinks because how am I going to fix it if I can't know about it? So I have been praying, God, permeate me, illuminate me, saturate me with this healing light of the son of righteousness. And Malachi 4, just absolutely saturate me with this light 
so that I will begin to be able to at least see, if not the blind spot, the effect of the blind spot. There's something wrong here. Something's going wrong. God, talk to me. And he's doing that. Wow. I love it. So here we are. Satan, the prince of this world, has no hold on me. We have cried, God, I want to do the works that you do. You said greater works. I, I want to do those. I, I, as a matter of fact, I'd be willing to do just half of what you did. You know, we've, we've prayed all kinds of prayers like that through the years because our hearts are toward him. We love God. We hate the, the brokenness of people and we want to meet their needs. And we've all prayed those prayers. Keep praying it. Keep praying it. Because in John 12, a couple chapters later, just where we read a minute ago, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The prince of this world, and for those of you who read the Greek, I thought I'd give you a little refresher here. The prince, the ruler, archon of this world, Cosmu is, is the genitive singular of this world, and, and Tutu is the uh, genitive uh, single singular of this, of the definite pronoun. The ruler of this world will be driven out. This phrase right here is descriptive of Satan as in possession of the evil world, and it occurs back where we just read in 1430 and also in, in John 1611. And when G Jesus was tempted by Satan, Sa Satan claimed the power over the world, offered to share it with Jesus. In Matthew 4 and Luke 4, Jesus did not deny Satan's power then, but here proclaims final victory over that power. The prince of this world is still functioning. You could see it visually 10 years ago at plus seven days from right now. We all were glued to the TV as a picture of the prince of this world, the darkness of this world. And it's not that, that the United States is holy. It's just that that was unholy. I, you know, I'd love to be able to claim, oh, bless God, this is God's land. <laughs> I wonder if he even wants it. But anyway, um, that was not the hand of God that was destroying those towers. That was the prince. He destroys everything. He, he got those, some of those people that died that day went to hell. He had them and he killed them. That's the prince of this world. He's a dandy. He is very consistent. You can count on him to be full of hate, full of lies, full of all kinds of uh, vitriolic bitterness. He is trying to destroy. You sell your soul to the devil. You don't get what you sold out for, and you, you still belong to him. Don't plan on him ever, ever having any good. It's not possible. When he, he can't tell the truth, when he, when he speaks his native, when he lies, Jesus said he speaks his native tongue. Now, we, we understand that. Just remember that there is a countdown. There is a countdown to his manifestation of the, of his, the demise of his power. 
it, it's, we, we are on a final countdown, I believe, for this, the prince of this world to be taken out of the way. Out of the way. The prince of this world will be driven out. And so then we say, since we have these promises, dear friend, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Now, perfecting there is a word that scares, if, if you're a perfectionist, and, and we're all legalistic, we have this huge legalistic streak, but the perfectionist, you know, theirs is twice as wide. I know, because I are one. And so, when you, when you see that word perfect or perfecting, it's like scary. But this is not talking about some kind of sinless perfection. I made this statement last week. Please, if you didn't get it, get it this time. We are not talking about some kind of sinless perfectionism. And I usually use the Greek word in front of that, the Greek adjective, rinky-dink. <laughs> this is not some kind of rinky-dink sinless perfectionism. This is where God owns us. And if we just get rebellious and blow it, he still owns us and he'll say, sit down and shut up and we'll fix you. He loves us enough to discipline us and work us over and work us through the deal so that we can be filled with all the fullness of God. And part of that that we are filled with is the lack of a place for Satan to land. No place. He has no hold on me, Jesus said. I want that to be my testimony. And I was talking to Eunice about you guys this week, and I said, you know, I'm going to stand before God and give an account for their lives. Not that I'm responsible for the way you live, but I'm responsible for what is taught to you, and a large portion of your spiritual teaching comes right out of this, and that's really scary, and I take it very seriously, and the goal for me is the same for you. I want to be able to say with Jesus... The prince of this world is coming, and he has no hold on me. That's you. That is I. We must be together in that. That's holiness. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. And then there is that, um, that one line in Hebrews and I didn't put it in the, in the outline, but it's perfecting holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Again, we're not talking about sinless perfection. We're talking about a wholeness. Spell that with a W, okay? A wholeness that loves God and wants to do his will and, and recognizes the selfishness, recognizes the effects. If you can't see the blind spot, then pray that God will show you the effect of the blind spot so you can say, Lord, this happened, I did this, and I know it means something over here because this is not like Jesus. Show me. And he may do it quickly. He may do it slowly. I think what he will do, let me just give you what I think the way this is that God works. He will do it as quickly as he can without just destroying you. You know, we, we say, oh God, just pull back the cover and show me myself. And you'd probably just freak out, fall over, and, and be institutionalized permanently. Well, I guess now we have enough medicines that we can pump you down and down and down and down that you could actually be out of the institution, but you wouldn't be functional. 
Do you hear what I'm saying? Because the stuff that's in us can be pretty scary. It's so interesting. Every time we have a move of God, a kind of real revival in the congregation, my counseling load peaks. And people will come in and say, Pastor, I, I don't know how to tell you this. And they're just ashamed. And it's just like, well, we all knew it, you know. It was only a blind spot to you. And we love you anyway. But they say, I'm, I'm this way and I'm this way and this way. What the deal is that their faith grew enough, that God's Spirit's moving enough, that he could pull back the cover a little bit and they could see that and it just freaks them out. And if you get freaked out, come and we will pray together because God is at work and he is taking us forward. Honey, listen, I, I am so excited. When I think about you guys, and you are a diverse group, by the way, we, we have a number of doctorates educationally. We have a number that never did get their GED. We have a number that, that have some money, could write you a check for something pretty decent. And then there's the rest of us. We have uh, all kinds of ethnic backgrounds. We have people from other nations in this. This is, this is wonderful but it's also a strain. And when God starts moving by his spirit and changing us into the image of Jesus Christ, oh my goodness. Can you imagine how the father gets excited when he sees his church beginning to look more like the Savior? Can you imagine how the Father, when you say, I will, you, you teens, I will sacrifice any kind of popularity that's going to cost me anything spiritually, I am going to walk with God. This thing is going to be over before I have time to enjoy any popularity. I want to be popular when I stand before God. Can you imagine when parents start saying that? Grandparents start saying that. When friends would put their arms around you and love you and say, you know what, when you said that the other day, this is what came to me. That happened to me a few weeks ago. I, I was sharing with one of my prayer partners that lives in another state a deal that had happened, and I thought this person would just commiserate with me and tell me how wonderful and spiritual and how unspiritual those people were. And you know what they said? I don't, I don't think I'll tell you. no. And they said, they said, there's a place that you need some healing. <laughs> what kind of a prayer partner is that? What's, what, aren't you supposed to build up my ego at all costs? That's what we expect out of friendship. Lousy friendship. Protect my ego at all costs. Never tell me the truth if it's going to hurt. Terrible friend. Don't call them a friend. Terrible person. They just lie to you. They see your blind spots and hide them from you. Now, I don't want you to be one of those that we dread to see coming. You know, it's like, watch out. Coming down the hall, I'll go around this way. You know, I don't want that, okay? But the Holy Spirit needs to use every tool that is available to heal us. So that we are just getting healthier and healthier and healthier 
in our spirits, in our souls, and that will even help the health of our bodies. It will help everything. And it most of all will put us in a position where when it's time to kick the gates of hell in this week, we'll have on our combat boots. You know, one of the, those old things that was an insult years ago was your mom wears combat boots. Good, I need her on my team. The Lord is looking for her. He's got some gates that he would like to splinter. Put those boots on. But dear one, it's, it's, it starts with our humility before God. Being humble enough to say, God, don't let me get by with anything. No sin, oh God. No sin. Nail me, Holy Spirit. Don't let me get by with blind spots. Raise up somebody to speak to me or you show me, Holy Spirit. I prefer the latter because he won't be any rougher than is necessary. <laughs> He's not always gentle, but anyway, it's for our good. And it, he, knows, he knows and humans don't know as well. But whatever it takes, I want to stand before God with many, many, many fewer buttons than I have today. And Satan walk up and go, start going like this and it's like nothing happens. It's like, what are you doing? Would you please stop that? That's what I want my response to be instead of going, whatever I do. I've been watching you, so I kind of know what happens. And what we want most of all is to be powerful when lost people come into our presence. Lord, who is it today that you want me to love and, and wash their feet and bring them to the feet of Jesus. Who is it today? That's why we live. We were saved to do good works. And if that makes you feel guilty, just, just forgive me, forgive the Lord, because this is not about guilt. This is about a commission. And we have a job to do. Next week, if the Lord helps, I want to speak about some of the stuff in the Muslim world that's going on and how we can respond to the various levels of the world of Islam. But if the Lord comes before then, and I really hope he does, but there's going to be a lot of people lost if he does. And I want us to be so humble and gentle in the spirit that we are just ready to wash feet. We are ready to rescue the perishing. We are ready to snatch them from the fire as the Petrine letter speaks of we have a job to do. May we pray. Father, you have called us, you have saved us.